All right, hey, what's up, FMBA Nation? This is Bill Brower, and in this episode, I had the opportunity to speak with Joe Burke, who's retired from Montclair Fire Department, FMBA Local 20. He's currently a practicing attorney who focuses on workers' compensation claims, and we had a conversation about dependency claims, something I was completely unaware of and I think is very beneficial and insightful to our membership in terms of the benefits that are available to them God forbid, in the event something happens to them while on the job. I urge you to listen to this episode in its entirety. And as always, thank you for supporting FMBA Nation. All right. Hey, what's up, FMBA Nation? This is Bill Brower, and we are live here from the Pro Studio in Rawley, New Jersey. I've got the honor and privilege to be joined by Joe Burke, attorney at law, uh, local 500 member, former president of FMBA Local 20 in Montclair, uh, retired captain. That's correct. Retired captain. And uh, Joe and I actually had a a very interesting conversation that I felt was very important for our membership to uh, to understand and to learn, and that was about dependency claims. And I had no idea prior to our initial conversation what dependency claims were and how they're related to the Thomas Canzanell Act, which we'll get into in a second. But uh, Joe, first and foremost, thank you for joining me. Thanks for coming today. And, uh, and giving us your time um, and, and information and expertise on uh, this very important and crucial uh, topic. Thanks. Uh, it's really a pleasure to be here. Uh, I think one of the things that you know, I would like to get you know, across today is some information that I think is valuable to every single person that works with us, mm-hmm. either retired firefighters or active firefighters. Was you know I was a firefighter in Montclair about 15 years, and I, you know, decided that by the time I was going to retire, I wanted to do something with the law, something with firefighters, and I got into workers' compensation mm-hmm. law. And workers' compensation claims, there's all kinds of of them, really. You know, I think one of the biggest um, misunderstandings that people have with workers' compensation claims is that. If you file one, you're quote unquote suing the town. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times different firehouses or different locals or different clients of mine are like, well, wait a second. I don't want to sue the town. I don't want to, that guy's suing the town. No one likes him. He's suing the town. Workers' compensation is not a lawsuit. In the state of New Jersey, they passed a law in the early 1900s that said, if you're injured at work, you're not allowed to sue your employer. What you are allowed is medical treatment, mm-hmm. um, rehab to get you back to work, and then there's a cash award that goes along with it. There's a number, um, and those numbers are pretty constant. If you break your finger, it's not really worth much. Right. You know, but if you herniate a disc in your back, it's going to be the same amount of money whether you're from Rahway or you're from Atlantic City. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much the same amount every time. So... Um, it's what they call an exclusive remedy. And I, I just think more than anything else, guys need to understand that when you're negotiating a contract, for example, the city is required by law, if they're paying you $30 an hour, 
they're required by law to put a certain amount of money per hour aside aside the workers comp fund into the workers comp fund mm -hmm. typically it goes into something called a GIF which is a joint insurance fund right a lot of times you'll get about 10 towns or 20 towns that put their money into one of these municipal GIFs mm -hmm. so when you're negotiating a contract and they're thinking about your raises they're factoring in the money they have to put aside in workers compensation in a sense the money they put aside to the workers' compensation insurance fund, it's money that is a It's a benefit to you. It's like vacation time. It's like sick time. Mm -hmm. It's like anything that you negotiate in a contract. It's just something that's silent. You don't know what it is. But they factor in your raises. You know, you might get a two percent raise instead of two and a half percent raise because they know that they have to spend that much extra money in workers' compensation insurance. Mm -hmm. So it's a benefit that guys should take advantage of because it's something that is basically they're entitled to right? if they're injured. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're not condoning abusing uh, the workers' compensation fund or claims or anything like that. If you have a legitimate injury on the job or a legitimate illness, which we'll talk about, uh, that you get from working and from being on the job, then you have a right to that claim and to that money and, and uh, to help offset your medical expenses, to help offset, um, you know, the rehabilitation process and to, to, again, like you said, talk about the cash award, the, give you a little bit of, of money in your pocket for the inconvenience and, and the trauma of having to go through what you went through, right? Exactly. And what also happens is most of us work two jobs. Mm -hmm. You know, I worked as a carpenter the whole time I was a fireman until... I became an attorney about six years ago. But up until then, I did finish carpentry. It's important for guys to remember that if they get dinged at work and they're put out on line of duty, they're not supposed to work those side jobs yep. because the town is paying their full salary while they're out. Mm -hmm. And typically when you do get hurt at work and if it's something that you're out for an extended period of time, the town in most police and fire contracts the town will pay you 100% of your salary while you're out on this injury. But a regular guy or woman, someone who say someone who works at, as a carpenter, they're only entitled to 70% of their salary while they're out on workers' comp. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit of an advantage if you get hurt, not an advantage, but you get more for your injuries as a firefighter or a police officer. So that's one of the reasons why they're pretty strict about don't work your second job. You're still getting a full-time salary. Mm -hmm. So it's important for the members to remember that. If they do get hurt at work and they're out and they get sent to the hospital and they're put on line of duty, they got to just stop working on the side until they figure out what's going on, until the case gets, you know, into litigation, I guess. Not litigation, until, they, until the insurance claim gets filed by the town. Right. What if it's off the job? What if you get hurt outside of the job and instead of, um, filing the claim, you're using your sick time, right? You're using your own personal sick time. You got an injury. Uh, you can't go to work, or maybe you can't perform the same duties for that job. But let's say you're a clerk at Home Depot doing a cash register. You know what I mean? Something like that. Is that, does that still fall under the same realm, or is that completely different, not even a, an issue? It's something that the it has to arise in the course of employment. Okay. It has to happen while you're at work. Mm-hmm. And there's no workers' comp if you get hurt off the job. Mm -hmm. If you get hurt, you know, in a car accident, something like that, 
And the best thing to do is to go to your, you know, your BA or your chief. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have any sick time, I mean, that's really why <laughs> it's something I would, you, know, you always tell the young guys on your job, save your sick time because yeah. you never know what can happen to mm -hmm. you. Because a lot of professions, they don't allow you to accumulate your sick time. Mm -hmm. So with us, one of the reasons why we're allowed to accumulate it is the nature of our job is so physical that if you're dinged up, you really shouldn't be there mm -hmm. if you have a bad leg or a bad arm. So if you have an injury off work, typically you can call in and tell your, tell your chief, look, I broke my arm. The doctor says I'm going to be out for six weeks. If you have enough sick time, you should be fine. Mm -hmm. But if you don't, what a lot of chiefs will do is you can go in and ask them, hey, you know what? I don't have a lot of sick time. Kind of, is there a light duty position for, yeah. me for you know, mm -hmm. I'll come in Monday through Friday until I'm better. Mm -hmm. That's really the best way to do it. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a pain in the ass making the drive. Yeah. But if you really want to save your sick time for an injury that happens off work, the best thing to do is to try and do light duty. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think so. Uh, so let's let's talk about this a little bit. This is, uh, you know, we're talking about dependency claims. We had a conversation. You had, give me some, you had told me some stories about some things that were, uh, you know, that you were working on, you were pursuing. And um, tell us a little bit about the Thomas Canzanell Act, how that plays into workers' compensation. Let's start out there. All right. So the Thomas Canzanell Act was something that Eddie and the executive board um, were able to get done with Phil Murphy's assistance, and it mm -hmm. was a law that was passed in 2019. Now, apparently, Mr. Canzanella was the guy who was always pushing for safety at fires, and he was one of the earlier people that Rose put his hand up and said, hey. All right, let me ask you a question. Are you like me and need a cup of coffee in the morning to get your day off to a good start? How about an afternoon cup of bean at the station? We all know that shift work is brutal to our sleep cycles and that we could use a cup of joe to give us that push through the shift. That's where our friends from Fire Department Coffee come in. Whether you're a firefighter, an EMT, or dispatcher, do yourself a favor and try them out. We have a special offer for our listeners and supporters. Go to firedepartmentcoffee.com, that's F-I-R-E-D-E-P-T-C-O-F-F-E-E.com, and use promo code NJFMBA for 15% off your next purchase. In addition, for every purchase made, Fire Department Coffee will donate 15% of the sale to our Mark Virag Memorial Cancer Fund. These guys are great people and are career firefighters themselves just trying to make really good coffee to help us get through our next shift. So go buy some today and don't forget to use promo code NJFMBA. guys are getting sick and I think it's from chemical exposure I think it's from something that we see in the fires or the gear or something mm -hmm. and it's a weird thing because you know it, occupational diseases are hard to see mm -hmm. you can't see someone with a brace on or they're walking funny because they hurt their leg so there's something that developed over time and so what the act did was it, it and is I think the legislation is also um, and 36 other states have similar legislation. Mm -hmm. What the legislation does is it creates a, what they call a rebuttable presumption that if you're a firefighter with seven years on the job, career or volunteer, active or retired, retired less than 20 years and under the age of 75, mm -hmm. and you get cancer, the 
It's presumed that it's related to your job, which means the, you don't have to prove that you got cancer from work. It's already assumed that it is. Mm -hmm. The rebuttable presumption, it puts the onus on the insurance company to say, no, he didn't get cancer from work. He got cancer from something else. Right. And it's a very difficult presumption to overcome because there's going to be a doctor that works for me and there's going to be a doctor that works for the insurance company and they're going to evaluate anyone that has cancer that makes a claim. As long as my doctor or their doctor says that there's some relation, mm -hmm. then the burden is overcome already and now you're just looking at what are the damages this person has suffered. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a very good piece of legislation that was passed and it's something, it's an acknowledgement of the fact that Firefighters in the United States and across the world have the highest rates of cancer of any group of, um, and of any profession, really, mm -hmm. other than people that work in a brake factory or cement plant, which you know, there's not a lot of people that do that. So this is really something that I know people are starting to become aware of it, and more and more people are becoming aware of it, but if you're a firefighter and you have cancer, this is something that you're entitled to by law. This mm -hmm. is something you're allowed to make a claim for. And guys need to do that. Yeah. To take advantage of what we have because we don't know how long the law is going to stay like this. Mm -hmm. it, might not, it might change with the next administration. It might be different in five or six years. Right. So tell me about uh, dependency claims. First off, explain to me what a dependency claim is. And I know you had mentioned there's different types of dependency claims, correct? Well, there's different types of workers' comp workers claims. compensation gotcha. claims. Mm -hmm. Now, typically when you do an orthopedic injury at work, you have two years from the date of the injury to the date of last treatment to file a claim. Okay. If you wait more than two years, it's extinguished. You're done. With occupational disease claims, there's no time limitation on it. So an occupational disease under Canzanella for example, if you're retired from um, the fire department, I have a, a guy right now who just filed a claim. He retired in 2013. So less than 20 years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he's in his 70s, 74. Mm -hmm. And I got him an award. And he retired, not 2013, I'm sorry, 2003. Okay. 19 years ago. Gotcha. So, but he, the time limitation is unlimited. However, there's one small thing. If it's either unlimited or if you knew or should have known that the disease that you have is related to your job, from that date you have two years. Gotcha. So if someone tells you in 2015 that you have cancer from firefighting, your doctor tells you that, and you treat for two years, and then you wait till tomorrow to call me, your claim is probably going to be extinguished. Gotcha. So it's important to know that the, when you are diagnosed with cancer, that's when you should reach out and find me and ask me, even if you don't want to file a claim, ask me what you should do to protect any future interest that you have, mm -hmm. which brings me to dependency claims. Yeah. So dependency claims are something that in a typical dependency claim, and this is something that I don't think any of our membership really knows about in workers' compensation. Mm -hmm. It's a claim that your dependents are allowed to make if you die, whether it's line of duty or not line of duty. If you have an occupational disease under Canzanella, it says injury, illness, or death. Mm -hmm. 
So the death one is no one really thinks about. And this is something that I just did, I believe it's for the first time in the state of New Jersey where I had an individual who got um, cancer uh, shortly after he retired. Mm -hmm. And when he died from cancer as a firefighter, I said, you know what? His wife's entitled to a dependency claim. Now, what a dependency claim is, through the Division of Workers' Compensation, if, if your spouse dies on the job, for example, if someone falls down a flight of stairs and dies at a fire, you're entitled to a line-of-duty death benefit, mm -hmm. which is going to be 70% of your pension, mm -hmm. plus the uh, benefit from the Relief Association, most likely, or local. And then the FMBA gives a one-time payment. And then there's also a life insurance premium for a line of duty. It's three and a half times your last year's salary. Right. Plus any federal... Uh... Plus any federal monies mm -hmm. that come in, right? So with a dependency claim, your surviving spouse and children are allowed, they're entitled to 70% of your wages up to a certain amount. There's a max rate in workers' compensation every year that you can receive while, if you get injured at work. Right now, the max rate in New Jersey is 1065 a week. Okay. So, for example, if you had a firefighter that was making $100,000 a year mm -hmm. and they passed away from a work-related injury or work-related disease, the wife would be entitled to 70% of their salary through workers' comp up to their max. Gotcha. But because the max is 1065 a week, they're only entitled to $53,000 a year. $1,065 a week. Okay. But the thing that's important for, this is really what I want to get ahead, and then the spouse, I'm sorry, excuse me. So that's what they're entitled to under this law. But typically, in the past, for you to try and pull this off, you had to show that there was a direct link between the death and an injury at work. Mm -hmm. But now, because of the presumption, if someone is retired, say a person's retired five or six years, and they're 61 years old, they died from a cancer and they were a firefighter, their wife can make a dependency claim. And it would entitle to her, without it, 2022, it's 1065 a week for the rest of her life. It's a lifetime benefit. It's something that puts your surviving spouse in a position where they'll never have to worry about working or, or money on the level that they did before, especially Unfortunately, sometimes when guys pass away, they pass away at a young age, mm -hmm. and they have young children. And this is a benefit that someone who's 40 years old, who has an 8-year-old and a 6-year-old and a 4-year-old, could probably use. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the, the 1065 a week for life for the surviving spouse, uh, it's a lifetime benefit. Is that paid out on a, on a weekly basis? Is it a monthly basis? Is it a lump sum? How does that There is no lump work? sum. Okay. What they do is, is they pay out, um, they have an actuarial table, actually, that they use. And they say, well, if you're um, 32 years old, mm -hmm. you're going to live 50 more years. So the award is based upon, you know, you surviving to 82 years old. But it pays out for as long as you live. Right. So, for example, if you live to 90, then you can collect it until you're 90. Gotcha. If you pass away when you're in your early 70s, that's when the benefits stops. Right, but the initial the initial award is based on the expectancy that they have set aside in their chart. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's typically they would send you a check every single month, like the 
first of the month or the first week of the month. Mm -hmm. You know, but never really. This is you know this is something that is brand new. Mm -hmm. So to be honest, it depends on the insurance company. My experience with this one person that I did this for, and it's the first person in the state of New Jersey, and I have at least ten other claims like this in the pipeline that are all firefighters that all died at a very young age from unnatural causes. Mm -hmm. So we'll see what happens with that. But it'd be either a weekly benefit or a monthly benefit, and then it just goes on. And it's also what's really important, it's a tax-free benefit. Now, the 1065 is the max amount in workers' compensation. The judge is the one that decides a couple different things. How much money is, you know, they might adjust it a little bit lower because mm -hmm. they say that, well, she's already, you know, the surviving spouse is already receiving a benefit from a pension or something like mm -hmm. that. But it's been my experience that they usually are awarded the max. Now, the 1065 rate is 2022. But with occupational diseases, the rate is based upon the year of diagnosis. So if you were diagnosed in 2000 three, for example, mm -hmm. the max rate in 2003 was $790. Gotcha. So then that's what that is based on. If that guy's dependent, that guy had passed away, his dependency claim, would, his wife would be getting $790 a week as long as she lives. Gotcha. So it's right. kind of on the, depending on the, the date of diagnosis. The date of diagnosis gotcha. is important. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about dependents, it's not just your surviving spouse. And this is something I also wanted people to know. Dependent can include a lot of different things. It could be a husband, a wife. It could be a parent, a step-parent, a grandparent. Children, stepchildren, grandchildren. Illegitimate children, adopted children. Adopted children shall be considered as natural children. Mm -hmm. It could also be if you have a brother or a sister or a niece or a nephew who's disabled. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, they and you care with, for them. Yeah, and you care for them. Mm -hmm. They're entitled to some of that money, too. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a benefit for not just a surviving spouse, but for your, it's a, for your children um, up to 18 years old, and if they're enrolled in college, up to 23 years of age. In addition to what the spouse is getting, or only if the children are listed as the dependent? So that's a good question. The, the children are automatically assumed to be dependent. But okay. For example, if you had a $50,000 award, you were getting $50,000. I'm sorry, if you had a, an award that was worth 50000 a year, mm -hmm. let's just use that as a round number. Yep. Uh, you had a, a wife and you had two children, but then you had a child from a previous marriage that you were paying alimony or child support to. Mm -hmm. Your wife would be entitled to 50% of that benefit, which would be $25,000 a year. Mm -hmm. And then the three children would split it according to whatever, however the judge made a calculation. Your child support would continue to get paid to your child from, say, your first marriage. And then your two children would also in, enjoy whatever benefit they would get. Mm -hmm. But the five, you know, the fifty thousand is going to be the max. It's not going to be gotcha. fifty thousand for the spouse Her, and right. then more money. The award for the is kids. split up amongst the dependents. Yeah. So if you're talking about the thousand sixty-five for twenty twenty-two, mm -hmm. your wife would get X amount. And your children would get, you know, really you get in front of a judge and a judge goes, okay, how much money are you paying in alimony? How much money was he paying in alimony and child support to his first wife? Mm -hmm. And then some of it would go there. Gotcha. Now, 
I was talking about this at the union meeting the other day, and this is something very important everyone here has to understand because I know I've been married a couple times. Uh, I had a friend of mine from Huawei who passed away recently, Billy. Mm-hmm. And he was a real character. Um, and Billy, uh, when I had been speaking to a woman who I thought was his wife for years, and it turns out upon his death that she, she wasn't his wife. She was just a woman he'd been living with for 30 years. Wow. He had never married her, and he had never changed his beneficiaries' names. Mm-hmm. So when he passed away, his wife got his widow's pension. Oh, woman he hadn't lived with in 30 years. God who gots. She didn't get anything. Yeah. And the, the cancer claim that he has and dependency claim that he has is going to his ex-wife. Wow. And not his woman that apparently he loved and did, I thought was his wife. Yeah. So, gentlemen, ladies, I understand getting divorced is difficult and you have a lot of things going on in your life, but and this is something I think the guys at the pension board run into quite a lot, right? Mm-hmm. I would imagine. Make sure you designate the right beneficiary yeah. for your benefits. Log into Emboss and change that. It's very easy to do. You mm-hmm. can log into Emboss, designate your wife or your current, you know. But if you're living in that kind of situation, remember, you know, a similar thing happened to a guy in me and Montclair. He was with the same woman for 30 years. He never married her. And he died from esophageal cancer. And she like literally six months after he retired at the age of 65. She didn't get anything. Wow. She didn't get his pension. She didn't get a death benefit. She got nothing. Wow. Sad. Yeah. Sad. Yeah. Real quick, go back to, so another question I had is um, the situation where you got the wife and the kids, right? And the the dependency claim, what happens when the spouse dies? Do the kids still collect the claim? Do they still collect the benefit? The children under the age of 23 that are still in college will continue to okay. collect the benefit. Okay. But The full benefit or only their percentage? A that... per- partial percentage okay. of the benefit, yes. Gotcha. Um, and then also, um, same thing, uh, if you have a disabled child or there's been situations where if you have a disabled child or a disabled parent, they would continue to receive a benefit after your death, mm-hmm. depending on what the judge of compensation, you know, what I can do for them. Mm-hmm. Be like, look, this still person is still fully dependent on the deceased. So it can be extended to children who are disabled or gotcha. family members that are disabled beyond the member's death. Okay. If that happens. Gotcha. In the case where uh, you have a member who retires at the age of 65, develops cancer, prior to 75 or let's say develops cancer after 75 how does that how does that come into play because the the rules that you stated before were uh retired or could be active or retired but if you're retired uh less than 20 years right mm-hmm. under the age of 75 mm-hmm. you have to have at least seven years on the job mm-hmm. volunteer or career mm-hmm. so in that case a member that say retires at the age of 65 Maybe they develop cancer 12 years later at the age of 77. Still less than 20 years retired, but over the age of 75. So what happens is if they're over the age of 75, the legislative presumption no longer applies. Gotcha. It doesn't mean that I couldn't prove the case in court. Mm -hmm. It just means that it's going to be a little bit more of a, it's going to be a heavier lift for me. Okay. 
and also a lot of these claims, they're you know dependency claims and also workers' compensation claims are a lot of it's based upon your life expectancy. Mm -hmm. So if someone is seventy eight and their spouse is seventy five and they pass away at the age of seventy eight, it's going to take three or four years to to, to get that claim settled. Claim settled. Mm -hmm. Not sure how much benefit you would get at that point in time. So, right. I know. Listen, we're firemen, right? So it's in our nature to procrastinate on certain things. When I was at the retirement seminar the other day in Union that mm -hmm. Joe Frain runs every single year, uh, I talked about dependency plans, but I also talked about, you know, estate planning. Mm -hmm. And I said to everyone, "Look, I know for a fact." Uh, no one in this freaking room has a will. Probably not. And no one, like, raised their hand and said, no, 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 I do. Mm -hmm. That's an example of something that we procrastinate on as, as men and as firefighters and women who are firefighters. You, uh, you're busy with your life. You're busy with everything that's going on. And, you know, you're like, ah, I don't want to say anything. Or you, know, or you just don't even write a will. And it literally takes sitting down with somebody for 20 minutes just to write out a single will and a power. Mm -hmm. The same thing with these kind of cancer cases. You'll have someone that gets cancer and they're like worried about beating it and they're worried about their treatment. But then all of a sudden five years passes and now they're outside the statute of limitations to make a claim. And then they come to me like, yeah, I got cancer in 2010. And I knew that it was related to firefighting, but you know, now I'm dying and you know, I need to file a dependency claim for my wife. It makes it harder mm -hmm. because waited too long to file the claim right so I guess what I'm saying here is that if you do get cancer you need to come see me mm -hmm. we're not assuming that you're gonna die you know it's not about dying you know one of the things that we do I think every and hopefully every firefighter in New Jersey has had the you know we're real big about taking care of our families we work second jobs for whether you have children or you have parents or brothers and sisters that you have to take care of. Hopefully everyone has a family of, that they love and that they want to take care of. And this is part of it. You know, it's like, you know, no one wants to get a colonoscopy. Right. <laughs> no, not fun. Nobody likes it. Yeah. But God, if you have colon, if you have, if you're having issues or if you have colon cancer, you don't even know it. You know, what can happen is if you don't get yourself checked up with the doctor, you can just, by the time you finally get to a doctor, the doctor can be like, sorry, it's too late. Yeah. Let's say a scenario, you, you get sick, <clears throat> whether it's active or retired, right? You get cancer. Uh, you're alive. You place a worker's compensation claim for the occupational disease, right? Uh -huh. You're awarded a benefit for the worker's comp claim. And then you pass away. Are you, is your wife and or dependents still eligible to place a dependency claim even if you've been awarded a workers' compensation claim while you were alive? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. It's because you got awarded a workers' compensation claim while you're still alive and you filed it. Now, now real quick, on the flip side, if you don't file a workers' compensation claim, right, yes. while diagnosed... Um, they can't file a dependency claim, correct? Or can they? They still can. Okay. They still can. But again, 
it makes the lift a lot harder. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I still, I have a case like that right now, and I, I'm confident I'm going to get this woman benefits. But if her husband had filed the paperwork sooner, mm -hmm. you know, it would have been a little easier. I have another person who, I mean, this guy literally signed the paperwork on his deathbed. He died like 24 hours after he signed the paperwork, and it made it that much easier for his family going forward. So does it extinguish it? No. But, you know, this is something that, you know, if you could be retired, like I said, you could be retired five or 10 years, 15 years and get it. And if your spouse is 65 or even 55, they're entitled to a benefit up until the age of, you know, 83, 84. So it's not, to answer your question, it's not a, it's an obstacle. Okay. It makes it harder. So mm -hmm. I would encourage people to make sure that they do that. Mm -hmm. um, go ahead and put it in as soon as they get sick. Yeah. Yeah. What can we do now, right? So obviously... You were a captain, right? You had to write NIFRS reports. You had to do all that stuff. Uh, the, the law is a presumptive law, so it's an easier lift for us to, uh, to go about this because we don't have to prove that uh, we got the cancer, we got the illness from the job. The employer has to prove that we didn't. What can we do now while we're on the job, while we're active, while we're working, while people are responsible for this report writing um, to ensure that all the documentation is in place. God forbid something does happen to us later on down the road. What occupational disease claims, you know, typically when you get injured at work, um, say you hurt your back at a fire, mm -hmm. you come back from the fire, your lieutenant or captain's gonna write up an accident report for you, and then you're gonna go to a Medi Center in town somewhere that the town has a contract with, mm -hmm. and they're gonna check you out. What they typically do is they put you on some ancient x-ray machine, take an x-ray of you with no lead vest on, and they tell you you're fine. Right. And they send you home. Right. When you get the cancer from the x-ray later on, <laughs> yeah, you can come exactly. back for another claim. But with occupational disease, and, that's, and then that report mm -hmm. and you telling your supervisor that you got hurt, that's notice. Gotcha. And that's a provision that the workers' compensation law, and the employers are like, look, we have to know that you got hurt at work. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we can't help you with PT or medical medical treatment or even pay. Mm -hmm. But with occupational diseases, there is no notification um, standard. There's no requirement for notification. Okay. So when I first started doing this three years ago, I got a lot of claims rejected initially. Uh, the towns would reject the claim saying we had no notice. But because they're such a rare thing, um, occupational disease claims like mine, you know, like the ones that I'm doing for the firemen in New Jersey, like I have, let's, I have over 200 clients. Mm -hmm. Every one of them is a firefighter. Every one of them, not all of them have occupational diseases. Some of them have orthopedic injuries. Most of them are occupational diseases. And most of the towns, well, initially, they don't really know how to litigate these things. They don't know how to handle them. So they they, send them, they, they deny the claim initially, and they say, we were never provided notice, and then they send all the paperwork to the insurance company. Mm -hmm. But the denial of the claim is, is meaningless. You don't have to provide notice in an occupational disease claims. Like I said, there's no statute of limitations. It's just a question of when you knew about the injury, 
and when you know it's related to your job. And even then, I'm not an oncologist. I don't have anyone that told me it's related to firefighting. There's just a presumption. Mm -hmm. Now, you might have a doctor that says, no, I really think that, you know, you have skin. Like, I have, I have squamous and basal cell carcinoma on my skin. Mm -hmm. Every time I go to the dermatologist, they're cutting something off me. I have something right now I've been procrastinating on for the last three months that I should get taken off. Right. But again. We just talked about the colonoscopy. Yes, You're exactly. You're talking about yes. this thing on your hand. And I'm guilty. Right. You know, but like my doctor, when I go into get treated for my skin cancer, he always tells me that it's something that I probably got from firefighting. Mm -hmm. So I know about it now. So if once I know about it, that's when I should really file a workers' comp claim for it. Right. Because... Then the insurance company can't come back to you seven or eight years later and say, oh, no, no, no. You knew about it seven years ago, but you didn't do anything. Right. That tolls the statute of limitations. Yeah. So. So there's nothing that's needed to say, hey, you know, uh, Bill over here was at a fire at 123 Main Street, and uh, there's known carcinogens at that site, so there's a really good chance he probably got the cancer from that. There's nothing that's needed like that. Don't need to do that, but okay. what... what what I always felt, you know, and maybe you ran into this when you were young on the job, but the longer I got there, the more I realized that, you know, as an officer or even as a firefighter, senior firefighter, one of the things you can do is try and mitigate these injuries. Mm -hmm. Every single one of us is exposed to on every single fire we're in. So it's very important that you have the right turnout gear on, that you mm -hmm. take the time to put on all your shit before you go into the fire. Don't go in the front door with no mask on. Right. And say like, oh, I could take the smoke for a few minutes. It's a bad idea. Yeah. You might think you're just coughing a little bit and it's just smoke, but it's not smoke. It's definitely chemicals. Mm -hmm. And the way we all know this is there's not a man listening to this right now who hasn't had a fire on a Monday, gotten back to the firehouse, taken a shower, changed his clothes, Went to work the next day, side job. Got home at 6 o'clock that night, eating a freaking burrito or whatever he's doing. And his wife walks in and says, did you have a fire last yesterday? Right. Because you still smell like it. Mm-hmm. And that's because all those chemicals are still working their way out of your body. Yeah. 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 That's scary. I mean, we, we've, had, we've had podcasts uh, where we've talked about, you know, the um, chemicals in our gear that actually have been known to cause cancer. We've talked about the firefighting foam, which I'm sure you're sure. very familiar with and, and are starting to see more workers' compensation claims because of the foam that we've used that has been known to cause cancer. Um, obviously, the diesel exhaust fumes that contain you know chemicals like benzene that have been known to cause multiple types of blood cancer and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's, I mean, listen, at the end of the day, we're our own worst enemy when it comes to prevention and, and awareness. Uh, I, I don't want to say awareness. When it comes to prevention of uh, these types of occupational diseases because of the whole machoism slash, you know, salty, whatever you want to call it, um, mentality, uh, but I think it's gotten better over the years. I think it's definitely gotten a lot better from, say, 20, 25 years ago to where we are now, you know, where it's not um, it's not looked at as, hey, he's, you know, he's, he's got his mask on in there. Like, look at this guy. And he's you got know. his hood on. Yeah. You know, the old timers, when I came on in the 90s, mm -hmm. um, and maybe when you came on, you know, the old timers would say, ah, you know, Tight building syndrome, you know, if you don't get enough ventilation, you really want to 
not have that hood on because when your ears start to burn, that's when you know it's time to move out of the building. Mm -hmm. And that's, but that was before they did ventilation. They didn't even do truck work back then. No offense to the old timers, right. but they just did things differently. They're probably not listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so No offense. No, it's okay. But, you know, so yeah, it has gotten a lot better over mm -hmm. the years. What can we do? Let's see. We can, we can pressure the, the town to have, you know, functioning vehicle exhaust systems in every single firehouse per OSHA regulations. Mm -hmm. All right. The old school thought of putting your bunker gear next to your bed at night. That's a terrible idea. You know what that bunker gear does. It has those chemicals in it that you talk about, not just the ones that were there when it was manufactured, which has a flame retardant in it, mm -hmm. but also the chemicals that come from it just being, you know, absorbed, and absorbed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you should really leave them in the, in the, in the bay. Mm -hmm. And even then you shouldn't leave them on the floor. You should actually put them in the fire truck and close the door because if you're, you got a two company house and the engine goes out and still alarm in the middle of the night, the vehicle exhaust system is broken again because they're always freaking broken when they do have them. Mm -hmm. That exhaust just blows into the crotch of your turnout gear. Yeah. And then you come in and for a call two hours later with your freaking underwear and now you're putting that gear onto your bare skin. Mm -hmm. And now those chemicals are just, I know it sounds like bullshit, but I'm telling you, this no, is how it works. That's it. You're right. And they're absorbed into your skin. Yep. 100%. And now you have it. 100%. And that's why, you know, we can't be complacent. We can't be lazy. If you have those vehicle exhaust systems, you should be putting them on the rig as the rig is backing into the building, leaving them on the rig when the rig's being started up to go out on a call or go wherever, and, and not being lazy about it because that's something that's helping at least with the prevention of something like this so that you don't need a dependency claim 20 years down the road that's when you got idea. cancer you know yeah. so i mean from, from a union standpoint you want to try wherever local you're in mm -hmm. you want to try and have the town have the vehicle exhaust systems per osha regulations second sets of gear gear washers mm -hmm. and encourage safe practices with everybody hey and listen if somebody if somebody does God forbid, I don't wish this upon anybody, but we know that it, that it happens and it will continue happening. And, um, you know, we, we hope that this prevention and awareness can make it become less of a reality. But in the event that somebody does get sick uh, or they do get hurt on the job or they're, they're in need of a workers' compensation uh, attorney, uh, what's the best way for somebody to get in touch with you? The best way for someone to get in touch with me is to call me. Um, you know, uh, you can call me uh, anytime on my cell phone at 732-233-1647. Um, but also, you can reach out to anyone from the FMBA office that you know. Most, I think most guys from most locals have heard of me. They know. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think my name is out there. People do know who I am. And look. I'm not the only one in New Jersey that does occupational disease claims. I'm not going to say that, but I'm the only one who primarily focuses on it. And I'm the only one who was a firefighter for 25 years. Other than, I'm going to be fair, John Feely, he's also a, a guy from Essex County who was an orange firefighter, but he doesn't do what I do as far as focusing on occupational disease claims. Mm -hmm. It's really what my focus is. So you can call me, you can Google my name, and it should come up on your phone. Uh, you know, I work for, I worked down in Neptune, New Jersey mm -hmm. for uh, a law firm by the name of Nelson, Fromer, Krakow, and Jordan. And, you know, 
I always pick up my cell phone. You can always call me at, at once again at 732-233-1647 and give me a ring. Or you can email me at joeburke at nelsonfromer, N-E-L-S-O-N-F-R-O-M-E-R.com. Well, listen, Joe, uh, I, really, I really thank you for coming in today to talk about this stuff. Uh, I think we touched on a lot of things. And we, I know we could dive deeper into so much more of this, and maybe we'll save some of that for another episode in the future. Sure. Um, but thanks again for, for coming in. Again, you can reach Joe. Uh, his cell phone number is 732-233-1647. Email address is Joe Burke, that's B-U-R-K-E, at nelsonfromer.com. Uh, I wanted to thank Nelson, Fromer, Rocco, and Jordan for their uh, support and sponsorship of the upcoming uh, Foundation Golf Outing. I know I'll see you there on Monday. Hopefully the weather will be, uh, will be nice. And, uh, again, you know, this information, we're hopeful, is going to get out to, um, you know, a decent number of people that listen to this podcast and, and hopefully can spread and, and, you know, at the very least educate somebody um, you know, on, on how this works and, and what they're entitled to. And um, I pray and hope that they never have to use it, but God forbid uh, something does happen to them. At least they become educated and they know that they, they've got you as a resource and they've got, um, you know, some, some benefits that their family and their, they, can, uh, they can use to help them out in their situation and time of need. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, my I pleasure. Absolutely. You got it. Thanks. All right, take care. Take care. All right, everyone. Well, that wraps up another great episode from FMBA Nation. Thanks for listening to it. And if you don't already, make sure that you follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can listen to this podcast on any of the major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio. And if you have an Alexa-enabled device and enable the TuneIn skill, you can say, Alexa, play FMBA Nation podcast on TuneIn Radio. And if you're interested in being a sponsor of the podcast or would like to be featured on the FMBA Nation podcast where you can talk about your products and or services that you have to offer, be sure to email us at nation at njfmba.org. And until next time, be safe.